from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. Hello, everyone. I'm Gemma Puglisi, a member of the National Press Club's Broadcast Committee. Welcome to Update One, our podcast. Today, we're honored to bring back Diane Foley, the president and founder of the James W. Foley Legacy Foundation. The nonprofit was started shortly after her son, Jim Foley, was killed by ISIS in August of 2014, nine years ago, literally almost to the day of this interview, which was August 19th. Jim worked as a freelance correspondent and videographer, a conflict journalist during the Syrian Civil War. He was held captive for two years before he was killed. He was the first American citizen killed by the Islamic State. Diane Foley has made it her mission to raise awareness of Americans held overseas. And she has done it and put pressure on several White House presidents since her son's killing to get these Americans back home. In 2015, one of the presidents, Obama, credited Diane Foley for her work and those of other family members who lost loved ones. He announced a new policy that included a new hostage response group, said Obama. These families have already suffered enough and should never feel ignored or victimized by their own government. Diane Foley, whose son Jim was killed by ISIL last year, said as Americans, we can do better. I totally agree. We must do better. Diane Foley was sitting just a few feet away from the president, along with other family members at the White House, when Obama made the announcement. We are so honored to have her back with us. Thank you, Diane Foley, for your work and being with us here today. Well, it's certainly my honor, um, uh, Gemma. So thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. And as I mentioned, it's almost 10 years. 2024 will mark the 10 years that Jim was killed. And as you look back and reflect on the anniversary, can you share your thoughts with us? Thanks to so many good people, Gemma. Um, Truly, when bad things happen, that's when good people step up. Mm -hmm. I really feel that. And that has been the case. Um, You know, as you said, Within three weeks of Jim's murder, um, we started the James Foley Legacy Foundation. And in many ways, his legacy is stronger than ever. Um, To date, you know, since the um, Obama, because of the moral outcry, really, Mm because it wasn't just Jim who was murdered. Um, Journalist Stephen Sotloff was murdered. September, early September, followed by Peter Kassig and um, Kayla Mueller that year, uh, which created really a moral outcry for President Obama to look at the issue. And it was um, to his credit that he did. He ordered a total review of of how our government handles this. And as you said, in 2015, um, that's he stood up the um, U.S. hostage enterprise as is as it is today, and today 122 innocent U.S. nationals have come home. Wonderful. So um, that is a tribute, I feel, to the work of a lot of good people, and but also um, the Levinson family um, helped 
push the family of Robert A. Levinson, mm-hmm. helped push the Levinson Act, which um, highlighted the, the issue of wrongful detention. And um, which continues today. So more champions on the Hill. Our community gets bigger, if you will. More and more Americans realize we should be prioritizing the return of U.S. nationals when they're kidnapped or wrongfully arrested abroad. So I feel there's a lot of momentum. So I'm very grateful um, for the progress in these years. You have uh, the, you and the foundation have done such an extraordinary job. What do you think Jim would say? Well, I think he'd be grateful. Um, we both know there's a lot more work to do. It's ever more dangerous to mm-hmm. be a journalist these days. And that is the other piece of the work that we do. Um, we focused on the need for aspiring journalists to know how important it is to learn how to keep themselves safe. It is not as it's not easy to be a journalist these days. Often journalists, particularly investigative journalists or journalists digging into issues people may know, not always want to know or in conflict zones, um, they can be attacked and uh, directly targeted. So um, it is uh, less uh, more risky to be a journalist. It takes a lot of moral courage, which Jim aspired to, to be a journalist. So a lot to be done, but I think Jim will be grateful that our country is beginning to prioritize uh, the return of innocent Americans around um, the world. Thank yeah. you, Diane. I wanted to also mention that you had the opportunity last year to meet one of Jim's killers, um, Alexander Kati. Uh, Mm -hmm. literally a year ago in August before, I believe, his sentence in a courtroom in Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about that meeting? Yes, I actually met with him three times. I met with him in October before the trial um, and then twice in the spring of 2022. And primarily because that was part of his plea deal that Mm. Alexander pleaded guilty to all eight counts. He did not go to trial. It was his colleague, El Sheikh, who went to trial in 2022. But um, he pleaded guilty. And part of the plea deal was he agreed to speak to victims. Yeah. And um, out of the three encounters with Cody, uh, I think the middle one was the most, I don't know, just felt good in some ways, because I I really didn't want to be afraid of him. Jim would not have wanted me to be afraid of him. And Mm -hmm. I wanted him to know who Jim was. So I I felt a connection with Alexander. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's truly tragic all around because, you know, we lost Jim and four other very brave young Americans um, through ISIS uh, and their acts of terror. But In all fairness, um, Cody also lost his freedom now for the rest of his life and his country, Mm -hmm. access to his family. So it's just very tragic all around. Um, But I felt it was worth the time and effort. Uh, We've got to bridge these gaps, these horrible, you know, chasms between and and the hatred that um, ISIS um, had for Americans is quite daunting. So I felt it was necessary to at least um, show up and try to 
speak with him. Was he remorseful? I think in many ways he was. He also made lots of excuses and explained Uh how, you know, why uh, a lot of the feeling of hatred and, you know, the U.S. has made mistakes. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, uh, the atrocities in Abu Ghraib um, prison um, and other things have engendered, gendered hatred. Um, and, you know, those are a lot of things he focused on. Yeah. But he did express remorse um, to what we'd been through as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, I felt, yeah, I felt there was a bit of healing there. So some of that was good. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Diane. I wanted to pivot this because it's it's taking me to a conversation that we had a while back um, versus uh, terrorists and countries and hostages. So I'm just going to go through just a couple of things. Just this week alone, right, we are hearing um, the Five Americans that were in Iran will be swapped for uh, Tehran to get access to $6 billion for humanitarian purposes. As of this podcast, now five were moved to house arrest in preparation for their release. But one of those people not included in the deal is uh, Shahab Dalili, who was a retired Iranian shipping official. He's reportedly said to be a permanent resident of the U.S. Darian, his son, has been outside the White House this past week pleading, you know, for his father's return. He staged a hunger strike. As of the recent news, Darian is now outside the State Department. And then, of course, we have um, Evan Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal Mm -hmm. reporter who was arrested in March of this year, was on a reporting trip and accused of espionage. It's the first American journalist detained in Russia. Russia on these charges since the Cold War. The update to that is on August 14th, Lynn Tracy, the U.S. ambassador to Russia, was able to meet with Evans, saying that he appeared in good health. So all that brings me to an important point and something that you raised when we talked a while back. When Jim was taken years ago, Diane, it was a terrorist group. That is not the case in any of these situations that I mentioned. It's the countries. And I want to want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And and that is there's been a huge change, actually, because now 90 percent of innocent U.S. nationals who are being held abroad are, in fact, held by Asian states, the five big ones. I mean, Iran and China have been doing this for a number of years, but new to the scene are is Russia, um, Venezuela, Syria directly targeting um, Americans and others, Um, but those are the big ones. And yes, that is one of the reasons um, some of our um, emphasis in terms of talking to our champions is on the Hill is really requesting a review of the current hostage enterprise, because when it was started in 2015, it was very narrowly focused. Um, to terrorists, um, right? people who been, yeah, yeah, and to exactly. people who've been kidnapped right, by right. a terrorist group, pirate right. or criminal, right. and not um, really um, focused at all on nation states. And whereas right. now that is the primary culprit at the moment. I mean, yeah, it does mm-hmm. go in um, phases, if you will. But that is why we're looking for a reevaluation because. 
currently, we're really not set up to deal with the increased complexity of when it's a nation state exactly. who right. has our people because they directly want to interfere with foreign policy mm-hmm. and our economy and the travel of Americans throughout the world. Right. So it's infinitely more complex. Um, this deal with Iran has taken years in the making, and not everyone likes it. I mean, understandably. And this is why the other piece of it is our need for a comprehensive program so that we really look at accountability and deterrence. Mm -hmm. We can't just do these one-off deals with different countries because then they'll take another one, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we really have to have a shrewd strategic look at this problem because um, it is becoming a problem. I mean, um, President Biden um, Biden called it a national security um, issue um, last July Mm -hmm. because, in fact, it is. It's a threat to us, um, to any of us who travel internationally. So that is one of our um, priorities in our legislative work. We really want it to be reevaluated, both from the family point of view and the government to look at itself. We've had, found there's um, a struggle for the um, envoy at the State Department and the fusion cell housed at FBI to really have the access they need to the president and the national security advisor to prioritize the issue. So it's, it's a struggle. And there's also these folks in the gray zone, like Shabbat, uh, Dalili, he is not designated. And there's a lot of people like that. Unfortunately, we have several, um, who've been taken in Afghanistan recently. They are not designated as wrongful detainees, same in Venezuela. Right. So it is like a lot of gray areas, a lot of gray areas. It is not simple. And it's because it interferes often with our policy in those parts of the world. So So I I really feel that's a need for a greater emphasis there. All right. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I wanted to also talk to you about the case, of course, of basketball player Brittany Griner. Were you mm-hmm. aware of the negotiations when they were happening? I read somewhere uh, that before she was released, you got a call. Is that right? We um, we were not as involved in Brittany's case mm-hmm. as some mm-hmm. because Brittany's case, um, there's no question really that her celebrity status um, she became uh, helped hugely. She became a, um, a wrongful detainee right away yeah. in spite of her minor, you know, um, crime, if you will, um, as did Evan right away. He was designated a wrongful detainee. And that's where the media does help. Right. Um, elevate some of these cases because we've definitely noticed that public attention does. You Make know, a huge difference, right? It gets the needle moving, yes. It definitely does. Yeah, of course. And the other um, thing that helped ed- that we have worked behind the scenes was as the Bring Our Families Home campaign, which is a campaign of 15 families mm-hmm. that bonded together last year because of the 
increased length of time loved ones are being held. I mean, look at Austin Tice. And that 11th is 11th anniversary. Uh, and, How horrible is that? And, you know, and, I, and you know what? That is the next question I was just going to ask you. It's the most heart wrenching case. And I do want uh, you to talk a little bit about that. He was missing since 2012. And just this week, the press club had a panel yeah. discussion because it's yeah. been 11, what, 11 years or so. And I, I wanted to mention for people that aren't aware and are not in D.C. here at the press club, there is a screen honoring Austin and remembering him that shows the months, the days, the hours and the seconds that he has been held. It's very powerful. And it's a reminder of the sacrifices people make, the families make. Let me ask you about the the latest that I have heard. And Diane, you may know, is that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that they are engaged with Syria Efforts, you know, engage in Syria and efforts to get him home. But it's like you said, it's been heart wrenching. You know, the Tices very well. How are they coping? And they've been it, amazing of when I've it, seen them. Um, and uh, Debbie Tice and, and her husband, Mark, are incredible advocates for he's their firstborn, just a beautiful young man, a lot like Jim. They met each other in Syria. Jim was concerned when he was detained because mm. he was kidnapped in August, just before Jim's um, kidnapping in November of that same year, 2012. So it's heartbreaking. And I do know the Tice family, an incredible family. Um, They've joined the Bring Our Families Home campaign, recently did a mural in Houston, because a lot of our detainees are from that part of the world. That's such a cosmopolitan international scene with the oil industry and such Mm -hmm. in Houston. And, um, you know, they really believe Austin's alive. And it's just, again, Syria asking for impossible, you know, requests of our government, considering their human rights atrocities. It's Mm -hmm. just a terrible situation really there. But God willing, in time, um, as long as there's enough emphasis and thanks to the press club for having that advocacy for him, the press club also successfully um, advocated for Jason Rezaian, who came home and now I know for Evan. So um, that is a big deal that they, they're making that effort, which helps. It yeah, definitely it does. helps. The visibility is really important. Yes. Uh, you have, um, I'm going to pivot here to, you're, you're sharing all the amazing work that you have done in the foundation. And I wanted to ask you to talk to us about your book that is coming out about your story. I know that for, I often wondered why you hadn't written a book yet, Diane, about all you've done and the work that you've done and what a family goes through. And, um, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about it. I'm so glad that you are putting a book together. Do you want to share a little bit about that with us? Sure, of course. Of course, I'd be happy to. And, you know, after Jim was killed, one of Jim's dearest friends, um, you know, put together a beautiful documentary, James Foley, the the, um, Jim Foley, the James Foley story, which we've used actually in our safety curriculum for journalists students and has helped a lot. But our family really didn't want a book after all of that Mm -hmm. and felt uh, 
feedback. But I have felt the need to tell the story. And it was really thanks to the Irish author, Colin McCann, who helped uh, actually accompanied me when I visited Alexander Cody in the Virginia um, prison. Um, it, it was Colum who helped write the book. It's called American Mother. And it will be coming out in the UK, actually, in February of 2024 and in March in the US in 2024. It talks about the journey, about visiting Alexander Cote and a lot of what we tried to do. Um, for Jim's legacy. So I'm excited about that. And and interestingly enough, there's a, a, a British composer who's actually collaborated with Colin McCann to do an opera. Oh, my goodness. Come out that's next amazing. Year. And oh, that's symphony incredible. Too. So some beautiful tributes to, to Jim. Jim. Right. And hopefully just makes people aware of the need to Everyone has opportunities to inspire moral courage, um, to be people of moral courage. So it's just, Jim has certainly challenged me, Gemma, in a big way. So I'm just doing my best one day at a time. I'm really excited that the story can come out so that hopefully others can be inspired to do. And I I know they they will. And I know they will. And and speaking of all the great work that's being done for Jim and the foundation, there are two major events that you do each year. And one is the annual James W. Foley Freedom Run in October. That's around Jim's birthday, right? It's it's in New Hampshire, it's in DC, but it's also virtual, right? Yes. And actually this year, I'm so glad you brought that up because this year we're going to have an actual timed run walk. It's a four, it's a uh, 5k and we're going to have it in Washington at Anacostia. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. And several people from the press club have offered and other media companies. We're really trying to just raise that awareness. There's so many issues out in the world these days. And and it's so easy for these Americans who are held hostage abroad to be forgotten. And um, so it'll be a gathering in Washington and virtually. There's actually a, a... legislation for a hostage detainee flag similar oh my to gosh the that's incredible yeah. flag that is currently um has been passed in the senate pending in the house mm-hmm. and funding for hostage detainee families which they have not had so we're continuing to work on the hill that um so people can be more aware of, of the struggles of some of our people far away from home and then you also have uh, the big event uh, in May every year, which is called the uh, Foley Freedom Awards, right? That honors moral courage and action. And when is that, Diane, in May that, this year? That will be actually our 10th anniversary celebration. It'll be May 1st mm-hmm. and it'll be at the National Press Club. We're so proud to um, be at the Press Club because Jim was so proud to be a journalist, yes. um, Gemma. So, um, yes, and that is the day we honor, we are currently vetting nominees for Hostage Advocacy Award, World Press Freedom, Humanitarian, mm-hmm. and and also a government person mm-hmm. who um, demonstrates um, excellence in government service 
in the way Robert Levinson did. So we're very, we're always excited about that because that also raises awareness and it brings journalists together with government officials and families. Last year was a huge celebration because we had 22 people come home last year. So last year was a huge celebration and we're hoping that'll continue. We're very grateful and for that. Diane, where can people get more information about the foundation? Do you want to tell us where the website is? Uh, Absolutely. It's dot org, And for the run is actually foleyrun.org. And, and either way, we just greatly appreciate any and all support because it helps us bring our journalists home and protect our um journalists and bring Americans home. So we're very grateful for anyone who can help us in that regard. And we're very grateful to you, Diane Foley, for all your work that you've done to protect the lives of journalists, remembering those who've made sacrifice and especially the families who have endured so much. We really are honored to have you back. You always are so gracious. You take so much time to spend with us and we're very grateful to you and your work. And we're thinking of you uh, on the ninth anniversary of Jim's passing tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Such an honor to talk to you, Gemma. Thank Thank you. you. Well, this is Gemma Puglisi with Update One. My thanks to my colleagues, Mike Hempen and Adam Cano. On behalf of everyone here at the National Press Club, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.